just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for another edition of Jersey Jump Shot, episode 11, just two weeks away from March. So we have a big show planned for you today. We have our first special guest in the history of our podcast, bracketologist Brad Wachtel will join us in just a few moments. Before we get to Brad, we of course have Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman recapping another week of college basketball in the Garden State. We're going to start with Mr. Chris Eisman and Rutgers. Uh, they lose to Iowa. They beat Northwestern. But that's old news, Chris, because we have a big showdown coming up with Michigan coming up on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. Arguably the biggest game of the season uh, coming up. Michigan came back from its 23-day pause yesterday, uh, beating number 21 Wisconsin 67-59. Got off to a slow start, down 12 at halftime, but clamped down in the second half and held Wisconsin to 22nd half points to get the win. This is just a huge game for Rutgers. It's a big opportunity to continue to really assert itself and, and pick up another huge win that would really, uh, you know, help cement its spot in the tournament. But obviously that's a lot easier said than done. Michigan is one of the best teams in the country for a reason. Um, and Rutgers is 0-13 all-time against Michigan. They lost twice to the Wolverines last year, once at the Garden, once at the Rack. And obviously there was supposed to be a third game. We all know what happened then. Both teams got pulled off the court and then the world stopped. So this is the first time that these teams will see each other, and Rutgers has an opportunity, like I said, to get a huge victory and also get its first all-time win against uh, Michigan. So we'll see what happens, but certainly Michigan looked good yesterday, coming back from its pause after that you know, initial slow start, um, but we'll see what Rutgers can do. Rutgers has played well. They had a, had a pretty good showing against Northwestern, but obviously there's a, there's a long way from Northwestern to Michigan. So uh, we'll see what Rutgers can do, but it's a huge game, no question. Michigan and Maryland on the schedule for Rutgers. And as Chris said, we'll, of course, get more into where what they need to do to, to lock up their spot in March Madness. We bring in Brad later. Seton Hall, on the other hand, they beat Marquette. Uh, kind of a, another injury here for Bryce Aiken, Jerry. Uh, you don't like to hear that. They have DePaul and Georgetown coming up. What's the status of the Pirates after this week? Well, first of all, I always say there's no such thing as an ugly league win. Although this game really tested that maxim. <laughs> it was brutal. But the bottom line is Seton Hall won. Uh, they avoided what would have been a resume-denting loss against Marquette. Marquette just played really poorly. Seton Hall offensively was was bad. Their effort was good, but offensively they were just sloppy. Uh, it you know it obviously hurts Seton Hall that uh, that Bryce Aiken, who has really been platooning at point guard with Shavar Reynolds, uh, is now hurt again. His knee, which kept him sidelined for the entire preseason, holdover injury from his time at Harvard is acting up again. Kevin Willard says tendonitis, which is a chronic type injury. They're going to get an MRI to make sure there's no new damage. Kevin doesn't think there is new damage. And uh, Tony Testa, who's one of the very best athletic trainers in the country, if that's his assessment, he's probably right. The, and the question will be, assuming no new damage, the question will be uh, pain management and you know when can Aiken return? How much rest does he need? 
Can he come back from March when they really need him in March? They could probably get by the next couple of weeks without him. But what you saw against Marquette was when Shavar Reynolds gets in foul trouble, Seton Hall is in trouble. Their offense grinds to a halt. I mean, no team in the country is going to do well with a third-string freshman point guard running the show. And that's what happened to Seton Hall yesterday. So they escaped, and you know Reynolds is going to have to change the way he plays to stay on the court, and then everyone will have their fingers crossed and their breath held until you know news on Aiken's knee comes back. The the legend of Shavar Reynolds grows. I mean, really, when you think about it, this guy, what this guy has done, and what he did in that game, you could look back a few weeks from now at that game and say, boy, there is a spot that Seton Hall really could have screwed up, and he didn't let it happen. You know, I I just think it was an amazing performance. Yeah, I mean, Manchester Township completely unrecruited, recruited by Division threes only, was a walk on at Seton Hall, and now he's he saved the Pirates season. He's beaten Marquette twice by himself, practically. Amazing story. You're right. And DePaul and Georgetown again coming up for Seton Hall this week. And then finally here in our mid-majors, Steve, uh, arguably the hottest team, Mammoth. They didn't play this past weekend. Uh, St. Peter's and Fairfield split. Uh, FDU is swept by Wagner. NJIT splits. What stood out to you for our mid-majors? Well, it was a good, it was a good weekend for Mammoth in terms of simply getting that top seed for what that's worth. You know, with St. Peter's splitting with Fairfield when they finally got back on the court. And, uh, you know, Iona split uh, split their games back after 51 days off, split with Manhattan. Looked great in the first game. But again, as we've discussed so many times on this podcast, to sweep a team twice, uh, to sweep a team over two days, especially on that team's home court, is very difficult to do. So, uh, you know, that's just that really good for Monmouth, but uh, so much left to play out. And with all these games happening, of course, as I said, March, two weeks from today. So to help us get ready for March Madness, we're going to welcome in Brad Wachtel. Brad's a Jersey guy, fellow East Brunswick grad, go Bears, <laughs> former Rutgers uh, men's basketball administrator turned bracketologist. According to Bracket Matrix, which tracks the accuracy of 133 ba- bracketologists, Brad ranks fourth in the country over the past five years. His Facts and Brax website can be found at factsandbrax.blogspot.com. Also, give him a follow on Twitter at Brad underscore Wachtel, W-A-C-H-T-E-L. Brad, thanks for joining us today. Our, our first special guest in the history of our show, and and such a good time to have you on with all this craziness shaping up for the month of March. Uh, thanks for joining us, and let's just start with, how are you so accurate? How do you get these brackets together every week? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me, guys. I'm excited to do this. This is obviously the best time of year, you know, the next three or four weeks. Uh, but yeah, so so in terms of my bracketology, uh, I, I started out doing this way back in 2006, right after I graduated from Rutgers University, where I was a team manager for the men's basketball team. Um, always have been a diehard college basketball fan. My dad coached at Long Island University for 18 years and as an assistant coach. And college basketball was in my blood. So in all my years working at Rutgers, one of the things that I always wanted was to be part of an NCAA tournament team. Unfortunately, that never happened. Uh, But this is the closest thing I can do to keep me close to the NCAA tournament. And I love keeping track of teams. You know, I love knowing exactly how every team is doing, what their chances are of making the NCAA tournament. So it's definitely a process for me to do my bracketology. a matter of sifting through every team's net, every team's record against quadrant one, two opponents, any bad losses that they have, matching up teams' resumes and trying to figure out 
who's ahead of who and trying to predict what the NCAA committee is going to do. Um, and I love doing it. And I try to be as, you know, I do it for a reason. I want to be as accurate as possible. And, uh, you know, it's hard to be perfect, which, which is tough, but, uh, but it's, but it's really enjoyable for me. And let's start with your alma mater Rutgers. Uh, of course they're in the mix this March. Um, where do you see the Scarlet Knights in your latest bracketology? So right now I have the Scarlet Knights as my top seven seed. Uh, they are right on the edge of being a six seed. Uh, I have Florida one ahead of them just because of their record against quadrant one teams. They're over 500 Rutgers is under 500. Uh, but other than that, they're, they're right there. They're in a really good spot, uh, heading down the stretch. Um, it's going to be exciting to see how they finish up. And they have this game, of course, with Michigan coming up, as we said on Thursday, um, Let's do our, our, our hypotheticals here. Are they a lock to make the dance, even if they lose, if they win at Michigan and then lose the rest of the games? What's the status of, of Rutgers then? I personally feel like if they win at Michigan, they will get in. I don't think I will call them a lock, though. I think one more win after that against anybody else on their schedule would do it. Uh, but I do believe even if they win at Michigan and lose the rest of the games, they probably still will get in. Um, but to calling a team a lock is, you know, it's a very sensitive subject. You don't want to call anybody a lock unless you're absolutely sure. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, obviously the game at Michigan is going to be a very tough game. Michigan, like you said, you know, they came off a long layoff and, you know, struggled in the first half, but seemed to be back to Michigan in the second half. And, uh, I think so, you know, Rutgers is not going to, obviously not going to be favored to win that game. I think coming down the stretch, if Rutgers happens to, you go three and two down the stretch, you're definitely a lock. If you go two and three down the stretch, you're a lock. Um, and it doesn't really matter who those wins are against. Getting to getting to 500 in the conference, even though 500 really doesn't, you know, conference record really doesn't mean much. Rutgers has done enough. Uh, they've had they have enough quality wins on their resume uh, to get them a bid. And you know, like last year, the only thing that was an issue last year was their record away from home. Um, and while I thought that they were going to get in, there was always that little like, is the committee gonna, is the committee gonna get dink them for having such a poor record away from home? And you know, it's there's not many holes in their resume. Um, obviously, if you win at Michigan, I mean, forget about it. They're looking at a really good seed. So two more wins, and you'll use the L word for Rutgers, Brad. <laughs> That's correct. I will. All right. Good to know. Mm-hmm. And of course, winning at Michigan's is, is a tall order. And, uh, you know, personally, I, I don't like the, the Scarlet Knights chances in that game. But let's say they do lose at Michigan on Thursday. They have Maryland, Indiana, Nebraska, Minnesota to end the season. Um, you know, how, how important are those four games should they lose? And, and hypothetically, you know, how high or low could they go depending on those four games? Yeah, I mean, you got to finish up the season strong. You don't want to go, you know, even if you're getting into the tournament, you don't want to go on a losing streak. You want to feel good about yourselves. Uh, the one good thing about the, the remaining part of their schedule, Nebraska, I believe now, even if they lost to Nebraska, who finally won a game in the conference play, I think it's only a quadrant two loss. So while it's a bad loss in the minds of everybody in the country, it's not as bad of a loss in the minds of the net. Uh, so there really aren't many other opportunities for a bad loss on their schedule that can absolutely be catastrophic. Uh, 
you know, if you beat Maryland or if you beat Indiana, both of those teams are, I have Indiana in right now as an 11 seed and Maryland is on the outside looking in, but they definitely have a chance to be a tournament team. Uh, those would be quality wins as well. Uh, as well as of course, Minnesota, who's very tough at home um, and abysmal on the road, but that's going to be a tough game. Uh, but that's another game that could, you know, move the needle and, and, and move them up a seat. Could Rutgers get up to a five? I do believe they can get up to a five. Yes. Okay. Let's talk Seton Hall. Uh, you got him as a 10, Brad, in your latest bracketology. You had him at a 10 last week. What the Pirates have five games left. DePaul at Georgetown, at Butler, UConn, and at St. John's. Five games. What do they have to do over those five to punch a ticket? No questions asked. They're nine and five in the Big East as we speak. No questions asked. I'd say four and one. I mean, that, that schedule down the stretch, you're not playing many teams that, you know, aside from UConn, who's a bubble team, and St. John's, who's also a bubble team, you got to beat those teams that are below you. I think if they go three and two, uh, they'll definitely have a shot at a bid. But now you're you, you need to see how like all these other bubble teams around you are doing. And you know while while all these other teams potentially are are beating up on NCAA tournament teams and improving their resume, what is Seton Hall going to do to improve their resume down the stretch? You know, let's say they lose to UConn. All of those other games you need to win. Um, losing to DePaul at home would be a disaster. Um, that would be, that would be a major problem and, and be a big hit on their, on their net as well, which is, you know, they're still in the top 50. They're still a solid 10 seed, uh, in my mind, but you don't know how it's going to play out with all the other teams around you. That's why there's always, there's always question marks and there's no, it's hard to say that there's a definitive answer on the number of wins, uh, down the stretch, but I would feel comfortable with four out of five, three and two, you got a shot, um, other than that, it's going to be rough sailing. Let's say they win four out of five, because I do think they'll be favored probably in four of these games. Uh, if they win four out of five, how high of a seed can they reasonably get? Can they get out of the dreaded 8-9 game? Uh, maybe a seven at best, but probably not. I would say the 8-9 game, because, again, there's not, you know, depending on what they do in the Big East tournament as well, of course. I mean, that's... Right. You know, that, that, that could change things. You know, if you beat a, obviously if you beat a Villanova or you beat a Creighton, uh, that would help immensely. But if we're just talking about regular season, you know, there's not enough games on their schedule. Like, you know, like Rutgers has, where if you win at Michigan, well, if Rutgers wins at Michigan, they're going to be my next update. They'll be a five or a six seed, probably a six seed, but you know, that that's going to get them up a seed with a win like that. Seton Hall doesn't have that, uh, left on their schedule, unfortunately. So they're kind of at the mercy of other teams with that. Uh, you Last question for me on this. You you have Rutgers and Seton Hall paired together in the first round for each of the last two weeks. New Jersey hoops Nirvana in Indianapolis. <laughs> um, what are the chances that it actually could play out that way? I think there's a chance. I mean, they're not in the same conference anymore. And the NCAA, every once in a while, they, they put together matchups where it's, you know, whether it's like this – this coach used to be an assistant for Patino, and now we're putting him together. I think it's absolutely a possibility. Uh, and would there be a bigger game between Rutgers and Seton Hall in the history of the two teams? Never. 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 And you're right. They, they should... do storylines. They do pair storylines now and then. And freed of, like, regional responsibilities, regional placement, 
as long as they wind up with on the same opposite, you know, opposite each other on the S curve, it's really easy to do. So that bears watching. I know Steve wants to ask you some questions too. Well, they, well, they should do more storylines. Absolutely. You know, I mean, that that should be a big part of that first round of the tournament. It, it would generate so much excitement, you know, matchups like that, you know, as long as they're within reason and, and within the framework of the bracket, you know, I think that just makes so much sense. But, you know, one thing I was thinking, Brad, you know, I was looking through some of the, some of the brackets people have put out there this weekend and you know like for instance one had Rutgers playing Drake in the first round now if you're Rutgers man that is a really unfortunate first round pick of you know for any like five or six seed I think I think back to like Seton Hall against Wofford a couple of years ago that's a really tough first round game you look at teams like Winthrop or, or or Belmont I mean if you're a five or six seed and you draw those guys in the first round I mean yeah you could probably beat them but they're going to give you trouble and if you're not on your game they're going to beat you what do you th- it just seems like there's more of those teams this year and in a crazy year there could be more of those mid-majors making a little run making some noise early in the tournament what do you think about that well i think the biggest thing to pay attention to is which of these low to mid-majors are going to get bids because it's really the conferences i believe have to decide in a week and a half if it's going to be the team that finished in first place that gets right. an automatic bid or if it's going to be a conference tournament, even if it's a smaller conference tournament, are they are they going to have, you know, is it going to be a normal uh, tournament where the winner goes to the NCAA tournament? If that's the case, you know, you don't always get the best teams from each of these conferences. Um, if they are taking the team from first place, which I think would be, I think it would be, wouldn't be great because you lose the conference tournament is so awesome for, the, for those smaller leagues, but you would have better teams in the tournament and and yeah no you're you're right you're right if those teams are making the tournament this year that have you know like the Belmonts of the world who have you know one loss uh 21 and 1 imagine if they're a 12 or a 13 seed and and you have to draw them in the first round no it's it's tough and a lot of those teams that are from smaller conferences are senior laden have a ton of experience um but but you know what for Rutgers sake Rutgers has well they don't have the NCAA tournament experience they do have um, a good number of guys who who have, you know, been through the wars and and been on bad teams, and now all of a sudden they've reached the the pinnacle. So I I think you know, if you're a Rutgers fan, I don't think you can complain about who your matchup is. You're going to the NCAA tournament. You're pumped. Well, you know, and going back to the conference tournament winner versus the regular season winner, honestly. I, I don't know how you could go through an entire regular season and then be going into a conference tournament and just say, Hey, the conference tournament doesn't matter. You, you got to let those kids play it out. I, I mean, I, maybe some conferences are going to do that and maybe your best team doesn't go, but I think that would be a shame if, if you went through that entire regular season, everything those kids had to do to stay safe, to make the season happen and then take away the conference tournament and any chance of being a Cinderella from them. I, I just can't see that. I, I totally agree. I mean, that's why people play. That's a big reason why guys play college basketball because everybody has a chance to make the NCAA tournament uh, and taking that away would be harsh. Um, so it, we'll see what happens, uh, but I hope that doesn't happen. I hope it everything stays the same and, Obviously, teams continue to do what they're supposed to be doing in terms of COVID and and, and their protocols. 
And how hard has your job been this year putting these brackets together just with all of the variables that we've seen this season, of course, with some teams going a month without playing with very little or no non-conference schedule for some schools uh, with teams, you know, playing less games than their, their counterparts in the conference based on COVID stops. Um, how hard has it been for you to, to put these brackets together? And, and do you think the selection committee is really facing the same thing as you? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it's, it's much more difficult because you're still looking at the same type of information. I think the, the thing that, I guess bothers me the most, especially if you're a, a mid-major fan, was that there really wasn't much non-conference play. So all of those, you know, teams that are mid-majors that, you know, like the Drakes of the world and Loyola Chicago's and, you know, teams that, teams in the Atlantic 10, uh, all of those teams who potentially could have had an opportunity to knock off a high-major team in the regular season, they didn't get that opportunity. So you wonder, are some of these mid-majors going to get snubbed um, and, and will less, you know, will less mid-majors make the big dance and you'll have, you know, more teams from higher conferences uh, make it just because, you know, they have more opportunities against quality teams. Uh, but no, I don't, I wouldn't say it's more difficult. Um, I, I just think you have to, you know, if a team is playing less games like Xavier, they've played a ton less games. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're looking at their their quadrant. You know, they do have only one win against quadrant one opponents, but they're five and three against quadrant one and two opponents, which which is good. You know, maybe it's not it's not eight and five, but you know, it's still it's a good percentage. Um, so I, I think I think it's a little bit trickier and it's a little bit different, but I wouldn't say it's that much more difficult. Well, Brad, you mentioned mid majors getting left out, which could well happen, but I could see mid majors also getting grossly underseeded which could make for some wild upsets and crazy runs because these they don't have a non-conference schedule to look at. So that to me, that you could have one of the wildest tournaments ever. They're always, it's always wild, but you could have one of the wildest ever if the seedings roll off because of that. Now, a question I had for you, it's been a real bug up my rear end, okay? <laughs> and everybody knows the net. And Colgate, you've made a point of this a couple times. Colgate is now 11th in the net. And what we saw with that, Mox bracket reveal on CBS at 16 team thing. What we saw with that was that there's they're going they're hewing pretty closely to the net. It seemed to me. So what did you think of that? And are you concerned about the Nets formula really influencing the committee here too much? Uh, after seeing the the top 16 reveal on Saturday, I'm actually not. Um, and one of the reasons was uh, a team like Missouri. Um, if you take a look at a team like Missouri's resume their net is actually in the mid thirties, but they have so many quality wins. They, you know, they won at Tennessee, they beat Alabama, uh, they beat Illinois. So I would, I would have an issue if they strictly said, well, their net is in the mid thirties. They can't be a top four seed. That wasn't the case. I thought they deserved to be a top four seed at the time. And I'm glad they were. Uh, but, but in terms of, of Colgate, yeah, that's, that, that, that's an interesting one. I mean, the RPI, if you obviously you remember it, I mean, they had they had some issues too, where there were always outliers like that. Um, but I think the what bothers me most about the net is the fact that winning winning basketball games does not matter as much as it did with the RPI. Um, and I think that's the most frustrating part. Like Penn State, they just lost at home to Nebraska. They're seven and ten overall. They're still in the top 40 of the net. That's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, winning's supposed to matter. That's just it's a major sport. Come on, net. 
And, and yet another variable in all this, and, and another thing we've talked about on this podcast, is the idea of teams opting out of their conference tournaments. Uh, take a team for Gonzaga, for example. They have nothing left to prove. They don't need to play in their conference tournament. If they don't, that means another team wins that conference tournament and punches their ticket to March Madness. So, you know, how much of an impact, of a dramatic impact, really, could teams opting out have on the field? Well, Houston comes to mind, for example. And Houston, another one, yep. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no question that could have a dramatic impact. Um, and it's going to put, you know, as the, as the NCAA uh, committee has said, that's up to each individual conference. So if that happens, you, you don't want to be that team that's on the 11 or 12 seed line. You know, like Seton Hall, if they only win three out of their next five or whatever that may be, like, and then something crazy happens where teams start opting out, other teams start winning their conference tournaments. How is it going to end up? I mean, no one could have predicted a year like this with COVID, so we'll see. <laughs> and how weird has it been for you this year, the, the muscle memory of not writing Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan State next to a number one in your projections? It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, who would, have, who would have thought that that would be the case? And, you know, you have to wonder, like, is that – not to make any excuses for them because they don't need them, but, you know, is that COVID-related or is that – what is it? And I and I think it's just so hard to explain. But they're gonna they're all gonna reload next year. You know, obviously a lot of those coaches are, you know, aside from Kentucky, a lot of them are are getting into their seventies. And and uh, you know, you have to wonder is if some of these guys are gonna hang up the towel soon. But is Duke uh, gonna yeah, make no. it? Yes or no? What's that? Is Duke gonna make it? Yes or no? No, no, Duke's not gonna make it. Bar barring a. I mean, barring a deep run in the ACC tournament where they're knocking off, you know, Virginia, and I don't, I don't see it happening. Did you ever think, Brad? I mean, you college basketball, like you said, is in your blood. Did you ever think you'd see a bracket without Duke, without Kentucky, without Michigan State, possibly without North Carolina? I mean, none, none of those teams are in your bracket right now. Correct. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, and and honestly, like anybody, like when you're when you're getting ready to fill out your bracket to figure out who's going to win the NCAA tournament. Those are always the teams you're like, okay, well, this might be a safe pick. Or, or Michigan State even, you know, like they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. So now you have – I think it's great. I, I think it's awesome. I think you have all these new blood. You know, you have Rutgers that's going to make the NCAA tournament. And and Rutgers is a really good team that can make a run. You know, if they get the right matchups, why not? Um, and, and I think, you know, aside from Gonzaga and Baylor – I'm not Michigan is Michigan's really good, but I don't think they're at that, that level. You know, it's, it's going to be wide open. It's going to be awesome. Um, and the fact that everything is going to be played in the same location is going to be a, it's going to be a nice wrinkle to the NCAA tournament this year. I don't think many college basketball fans will be feeling sorry for Duke this year. I'm just going to go out on a limb and, and say that uh, Brad, thanks so much for, for, uh, telling us all this stuff. This is great. Um, when will you be updating your facts and bracks and, and what's, uh, what can followers look out for from you? So I actually just sent out my last update. Um, and I, my next update will be Friday morning. I'll be updating it Monday morning, Friday morning. And then as we get closer, um, I'll be doing it, uh, on a daily basis. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be great to track to see how, how Seton Hall and Rutgers end the season and hopefully they both get in. 
Folks, if you're not following Brad for bracketology, you're not doing it right. <laughs> That's factsandbracks.blogspot.com. Brad, thank you so much for, for sharing this uh, all this with us today. And uh, I have a feeling we'll be talking to you, too, as, uh, as we get into March. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Brad Wachtel. So in between hitting refresh on Brad underscore Wachtel on Twitter, Jerry, start us off. What are some things our listeners can be reading this coming week? So for me, uh, I'm working on uh, actually tomorrow. I'm going to have a feature on uh, Miles Kale going a little bit in depth into his journey, talking to his parents and his high school coach. And he's really put it all together in a nice senior year. Steve, how about you? You know, we're going to have some stuff definitely coming up leading into Mama's games up at Iona on Friday and Saturday. Those will be very interesting. Um, you know, Iona hasn't played much, but they got some talent and they got Rick Patino. So they're, they're a factor uh, come NCAA tournament time as a potential uh, getting that bid. And Chris, I guess we'll be getting ready for uh, a big Thursday night showdown. Exactly. In a couple of days, I'll have a bigger preview on uh, Rutgers, Michigan, um, and what's going to be the biggest team of the year for them. So uh, keep an eye on uh, app.com for that coming up. Absolutely. Keep following along the USA Today Network, New Jersey, NorthJersey.com, app.com. Look out for Jerry, Steve, and Chris on Twitter. That's going to do it for our, our supersized episode 11 of Jersey Jump Shot. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify, or iTunes. A huge, huge thank you to bracketologist Brad Wachtel. Again, be sure to follow along with Brad. What uh, great knowledge he was able to bring to our show today. Our thanks again to him. Thank you for listening at home. We have a big week coming up. We can't wait to talk about it on the next episode of Jersey Jump Shot. So we will talk to you then. Take care. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.